2: Welcome into the week nine NFL podcast. I am your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig here on the RotoWire NFL podcast here on Thursday, November 5th. Uh, we have a lot of games to get to. There's a lot of just kind of craziness going on around the league with, with you know, uh, COVID, with injury with everything in between. So we got an interesting week nine coming up, and and we're really faced with it uh, right off the bat, Mario. We got the Packers facing off against the 49ers. The 49ers have had uh, issues with with COVID within their building. They've also had – probably the worst injury luck of any team that I can remember, in you know, it, of the last decade plus. I mean, it's just been unbelievable, like, the, the the toll that the injuries have taken on the 49ers, so we've seen a ton of line movement av- as a result, obviously with George Kittle and Jimmy G being out, that that's a huge factor there. Uh, this game opened up as the Packers' two-and-a-half point favorites in this one. Now they're checking in at seven-and-a-half point favorites on the road. These teams met around this time a year ago in San Francisco, absolutely shellacked them and then they shellacked them again in the nfc championship game don't expect that to happen these are two teams going in very different directions right now although the packers do have some injury concerns of their own so uh, i'll just open the floor to you on on your expectations for for this game
1: well yeah the packers have their own covid situation too so the whole the whole game feels really difficult to pin down and parse out and i guess as long as you know in the Packers side Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, if they're out there, I guess, particularly given with what the 49ers have on the shelf, maybe that's kind of enough for the Packers to be close enough to themselves, you know, their their general nature, even with their own shorthandedness, like maybe maybe Rodgers, Adams is enough, and, you know, knock on wood, it seems like they'll be out there, it seems like Jair Alexander will be out there, so that's those three guys are kind of the Packers to me. And I know there's other players, but uh, those I think if you have that kind of star power in a game like this where the 49ers, like none of their star power is even theoretically available. Like it's it would have been Kittle. It would have been Mostert. It would have been maybe Richard Sherman. Who knows? uh, Bosa, of course. So they're down. uh, Those guys are out. uh, They don't have Ayuk or Debo. So I don't. I'm not particularly caught up on the Garoppolo part of it. I think he's just not any good. And I think Mullins can basically be as good as Garoppolo most of the time. So that's not the part that I care about. But Mullins throwing instead of to Ayuk, Samuel, and Kittle and throwing to whatever, Ross Dwelly, Kendrick Bourne. I don't even know if Trent Taylor is going to be an option. Like Maybe they're going to have to go with – I don't, I don't even remember who is, is Mohamed Sanu still there it's like stuff like that so uh with that and then a bunch of backups on the defense out there i I just I don't know what the 49ers can reasonably be expected to do I just I don't know how you really do your job in this sort of situation
2: yeah I mean it, it is such it is such a mess and like you said you know it's one thing for this 49ers offense when Garoppolo goes out we've seen it before um you know Nick Mullins or uh, C.J. Bethard can do some sort of, you know, imitation of what an NFL offense looks like. It doesn't last for very long. But on, on like a one game or two game sample, you know, it, it they don't completely embarrass themselves. It doesn't go completely out the window. But again, that's underpinned by having legitimate stars like George Kittle um, or some of these, you know, pass catching threats, Debo Samuel um, and so on. I mean, I'm looking at their depth chart right now and we have it ordered with Trent Taylor, number one. And then it's just red the rest of the way. Richie so James Bourne? is questionable. Debo Samuel, COVID. Brandon i u COVID. Kendrick Bourne, COVID. Oh, um, they got rid I of Tay Pettis. That. Say again?
1: I didn't even notice the Bourne one before. So, yeah, that would be, I guess, Trent Taylor and Muhammad Sanu. I, what, who's the third receiver then? The Taylor, I guess? It, it
2: might have to be one of us. I don't know if they can get us out there in time, but... Um, yeah, so news,
1: I don't understand how this isn't like liable to go south on an hour by hour basis. I guess we'll, you know, tell by the game starting, but like, how can they possibly have isolated these people when there's this number of them who were carrying the virus? I don't, I don't get it. And even on the Packers side, it's like, if Aaron Jones is out, Jamal Williams and uh, AJ Dillon have uh, the COVID list, the COVID exposure. So I guess uh what is that guy's name the 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 Notre Dame back Dexter oh Dexter Williams. Williams yeah Dexter Williams is gonna have to be like the star today
2: I guess tonight's the night and yeah. it'll happen again Dexter Williams but so yep Dexter Williams somehow back onto the fantasy radar for, for Thursday I think that you know he's someone that if you're throwing together a showdown lineup, that sort of thing, he can he can be on the radar. You got to be really desperate and season long to to be streaming him. But uh, you know, again, if Jones is out, though, yeah, I think right.
1: he, I think he becomes a flex play, honestly.
2: Really, I mean, I guess Kyler Irvin
1: can't see. get 20 carries or anything.
2: No, no, he you definitely can't saddle him with that. Dexter Williams, you know, he's built for that. He's not going to give you a ton on a per carry basis, but I, I think that. You know, bottom line, he, he will see the the enough volume to probably, like you said, um, hit that or be on the flex radar um, when it comes to the Niners. It, let's talk about their running backs uh, before we move on. So um, it looks like it's just going to be Jared and Jamichael Hasty once again. Um, looks like Hasty's rushing over under props. sits at 63 and a half. Uh, we saw the Packers give up a lot on the ground a week ago, and we figure with the limitations to this Niners passing game, uh, we could see the 49ers really go heavy on the ground here. So do you think that, that the Hasty-McKinnon um, you know combo can make some damage here?
1: Not really. I guess Hasty's probably going to get, like, 10-12 carries at least, but I just think it's going to be more like 45 yards than 60-something like that. I guess we, like, I think we would specifically need Rodgers and Adams to not do well for Hasty to go over that number. Uh, he's, he's not even really the Moser type to get you, like, a long 50-yard carry to, to kind of make it happen. He's going to need six, seven, eight-yard gains at a time. Like, he's more quick and explosive than he is long speed anyway he could be playing in a tough spot too with with Mullins and that passing game being so bad the the Packers have pretty decent pass defense personnel at least at certain points they're very strong and at a, against an offense is shorthanded in the passing game as the 49ers i think i think the whole thing collapses for the for the 49ers offense here
2: yeah they they just don't have any sort of legitimate threat as far as the pass goes so the the Packers who have been that run funnel type of defense, they can you know, just kind of allocate more resources to stopping the run, and then it will all collapse, kind of like you said, um, for the rest of that offense. Um, let's get on over to our next game. Uh, we got the Chiefs going up against the Panthers. Uh, Chiefs 10.5-point favorites at home in this one. I, I think the biggest fantasy storyline for this one would, would be Christian McCaffrey trending towards his return, uh, his first game since suffering that high ankle sprain. Um, back in in Tampa Bay in week two. Um, What can we expect from him in this matchup? Because we we know that occasionally uh, the Chiefs can also kind of concede the run a little bit in their own right.
1: Yeah, that system, at least given the results of Mike Davis, and if we believe Mike Davis, despite his great numbers this year, is still basically a replacement level runner. And that's certainly how I see it then we should consider McCaffrey pretty much golden as far as the setup of the offense and his usage within it. And we can start to wonder then like, well, will he also be better than Mike Davis was, which a, he really doesn't need to be like Davis was putting up huge numbers, at least in PPR scoring he was, but B yes, we can expect Christian McCaffrey to be better Mm -hmm. than Mike Davis. So I don't know so much about the setup with, with the matchup with the defense or the game script or anything, but I also don't know whether the answers to any of those questions matter for McCaffrey. Like if it's a blowout, he's probably playing for some reason. Uh, if, if it's competitive, then yeah, of course, he's probably the reason that it is competitive for from the Panthers side of it. So uh, I think he's pretty high floor, high ceiling as far as the on paper stuff goes. It, it could really only be an aggravation of the injury. I think that disrupts any of that.
2: OK, hopefully we're far enough down the road here to where um, that won't be an issue. But I think Carolina would be pretty cautious with with the running back. They just gave um, a lot of money to. So maybe. Um,
1: I, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm just assuming they don't really care that much because they I don't know. It's like you have to justify them by giving them that contract, you know, and Mike Mike Davis isn't really like an asset. But I guess some risk of a committee is there. I I just I would be surprised.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um as far as the passing game goes for for Carolina, which of these guys can uh, pose any any threat to the Chiefs or are the Chiefs kind of uniquely set up to really slow down that that trio of Anderson, um of DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel?
1: Well, the the Panthers are of course free <coughs> free to change their game plan, but their game plan all year has been Robbie Anderson is the wide receiver one. Like he gets the most viable targets. And then DJ Moore gets left with the the most high difficulty outside targets. And Curtis Samuel only competes for the underneath in the slot targets. So that's, that's uh, that leaves like a Anderson's case, at least that leaves like a range of possibilities. Like they could choose to use him a little bit more in the slot, a little bit more in any particular part of the field based on matchup. If they want DJ Moore only has so much negotiating room as far as his usage, he'll always be outside, which, isn't necessarily bad against the chiefs because tyron matthew tends to be the slot corner which would mostly be curtis samuels problem and and i don't really like samuels usage in the offense i don't really like the the ways that they apply him so when you add matthew to the equation for me that's enough to be kind of pessimistic about samuel although with his kind of speed the big play is always possible it's just Mm -hmm. all else being equal matthew is is harder typical other option. Outside, Chavarius Ward, I think, is better suited to cover Robbie Anderson than Rashad Fenton is. Rashad Fenton's been getting a lot of good PFF grades, but he's, I think, ideally more of like a slot corner type. Like, he's short and He's adequate athletically, but he's not truly fast. So I think Anderson, DJ Moore, they can run away from a guy like him. Uh, whereas Ward, he's like a four-four guy with a forty vertical. So I think he he mirrors uh, Robbie Anderson pretty well. But they don't move those two corners. So if the Panthers want to move Anderson away from either one, they'll be able to do it. And um, there, the other thing I guess is like we there could be quite a bit of garbage time in a game like this, not necessarily, but if but if there is, then it's kind of like well. Then the Chiefs kind of go into a fake defense kind of mode anyway, and it doesn't really sure. matter what the the matchup is. So I think you can consider Anderson pretty high floor, not like high ceiling specifically, because I don't think the matchup will be favorable. Like it, I think they'll have to. It, it might be like by the skin of their teeth kind of things if they if they do on offense for the Panthers have a good game, but um, the personnel is pretty good with the Chiefs, and I, I would say. Uh, i don't know it's like it's like any of those three guys are fast they can make big plays but it's just not going to be easy for
2: any of them especially okay i I think that's a good way of framing it um on the other side of of this game uh what's the latest with with this kansas city backfield because i mean still dominating the snap share for the most part but neither of them putting up uh giant numbers over these last couple of weeks since Le'Veon bell um joined the fray we saw uh ceh the first week against denver eight carries for 46 and a touchdown added a 17 yard reception uh this past week against the jets um six for for 21 and three catches for 10 yards so not really a, a whole lot going on there do we kind of just expect both these guys to be like fringy fantasy options the rest of, i mean like edwards hilaire still has a ways to go before you're like benching him but Do you you see a possibility or a trajectory where Bell starts to work in on the snap counts? And, you know, if Edwards Hilaire is doing that little with his touches as is, um, that this becomes a problem for for just getting fantasy value out of either of these guys?
1: I think it could just be a situational thing. I don't really think it's possible that if... I I don't really think there's a scenario where Clyde Edwards Hilaire just... Play so poorly and Bell plays so well that Andy Reid changes his mind on who the two of them are. I think it's more like he knows who each of them are. You know, he knows what their limitations, their strengths might be. And he's probably not going to get caught up in like anecdotal events as far as, as far as his idea of these two guys goes. But you might, I think just kind of see a thing shake out where Clyde O'Donnell tends to play when they basically need to move the ball. Um, and Lavian Bell maybe picks up just kind of, of course, the breather situations for Edward Teller, but then also kind of maybe the lower the stakes in the game, uh, like the less the less interested they are in a 20-yard carry, basically, in a given play, the more likely Lavian Bell is to get that snap, I figure. So I kind of imagine like a 55-45 or a 60-40 kind of thing, and hopefully with guys like Daryl Williams getting completely subtracted from the equation, although that hasn't even happened yet either. So um, it's kind of unfortunate for especially the Edward Tolaire people who took him in the first round, like that stuff isn't happening. Um, but you kind of have to keep him in as a flex play if you do have him.
2: Yeah. And uh, again, to, to your Le'Veon Bell point, um, not since he uh, sat out the the 2018 season has he run for 20 yards in a single carry he is over his last 276 rushing attempts <laughs> 3.3 like, uh, yards per carry even adrian peterson has one that's that's pretty rough <laughs> <laughs> woof um all right let's move on over i think this this will be one of the more fun games of this weekend slate uh, a lot to get into on this one uh, seattle going up against buffalo uh, really nice high over under in this one sitting at 55, the the Seahawks three point favorites on the road. Um, that speaks to kind of how much the Bills have kind of uh, slipped back to the pack over the last month or so. I mean, I, I think at the end of September, you could have said that they were one of the best teams, if not the, the best in the AFC. That's not the case anymore. Uh, Josh Allen over his last four games, um, just one game over 20 fantasy points. He's got a four to four. Oh, so really a one to one touchdown to interception ratio, 6.6 yards per attempt. But so so that's a, a pretty strong downward trajectory. But can a matchup against the Seahawks at home be something that, that gets him you know back on the right track, even for just a week?
1: Well, I don't know what the, the latest in the injury reports are for the for the Seahawks here. I'm going to pull that up here. Uh, the addition of Carlos Dunlap. Could be pretty significant. They're getting Rasheem Green back, I think, in the defensive line pretty soon. So the Seattle defense is going to improve up front, uh, perhaps starting in this game. And certainly over these subsequent weeks, they'll, they'll get there, I'm sure. Uh, looks like Shaquille Griffin might be out. If he's out, that's pretty big. Even if Shaquille Griffin and Quentin Dunbar are both out there at corner for the Seahawks, though, I, I really like this game for Josh Allen. I think the tempo urgency details are going to be especially in his favor with a team like the or with an offense like the Seahawks coming in. And there is, I guess, some risk that maybe the Seahawks offense just sort of has a little bit of an off day. Uh, I guess that's theoretically possible. Uh, they're on the road. It's a long distance. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the weather's going to be. It, maybe it'll be stupid one way or another. Who knows? But I think the median range outcome here is the Seahawks keep rolling on offense because you look at the the Buffalo defense. There's some good pieces, certainly, but there's not necessarily any combination of pieces that's going to reliably stop the Seahawks offense as it's currently constructed. And as the Bills defense is currently constructed, there's, dirt, there's uh, definite weak spots to um, the kind of threats that the Seahawks can pose and you, you look at a guy like Tredavious White he's a corner who normally changes the the complexion of the opposing offense because he he can remove like impede other top receivers enough to oftentimes make but if he's going against Tyler Lockett then DK Metcalf is going against someone who can't cover him and if Tredavious White is on DK Metcalf Of course, no one can cover Lockett, whoever it is that's on him. And I don't think Tredavious White can cover DK Metcalf either. So I don't think it matters what the Buffalo defense does strategy wise. I think if they're going to get a if they're going to force an off game from the Seattle offense, then I think it, it basically needs to be because McDermott came up with an incredible combination of stunts and blitzes that surprised Russell Wilson and they just hit him before these receivers can get open because I think the receivers will get open if they have time to run the route. So um, I'm not particularly worried about McDermott having that good of a game plan. Like to me, it's like a one out of 10 chance. McDermott just completely catches by surprise Russell Wilson. But even if he does, it probably will only last about two quarters. And if they really have the incentive, the Seahawks offense can kind of create entire games worth of stats in in a quarter and a half or whatever. So uh, I think it's a good setup for, for Wilson, you know, every week, basically going forward. Mm-hmm. And for this game, I actually really like Josh Allen, especially as like a tournament play in DFS because his usage could go up. And particularly if Shaquille Griffin is out, then there should be a John Brown open, even if the Stefan Diggs is covered. But I don't think that, I don't think D- Diggs loses to anybody really either. Like if, I think Quentin Dunbar is a really good corner, but I, I don't think he stops Diggs or anything. And whoever's on John Brown can't cover him.
2: Right, ex- exactly. So I think that, you know, rightfully so, there's a really high total in this one. And, and for good reason, I think both these offenses should be able to click. Interesting details there about um, the Seattle defense, you know, getting getting some uh, resources back. But but still, it should be a, a, a good setup uh, for both of these offenses. And I, I guess the, the last question uh, for you from a fantasy perspective um, is what you can do um, about the the Seattle backfield because I mean everyone is so banged up right now Uh, we got Chris Carson questionable we got Carlos Hyde out DJ Dallas really the only one that's not even on the injury report Travis Homer also questionable so um, is this another week where DJ Dallas is on the radar I guess it's pending the Thursday practice report but yeah last week it seemed like
1: Homer basically couldn't play was kind of like an emergency backup and yet he was the only backup for, for DJ Dallas in that game I don't think DJ Dallas is very good and I don't think the results were very good in that game. But if you're on the field at any position and especially running back on the Seahawks offense, you can score touchdowns and um, he'll be involved in the passing game. Like he'll always be the he's the definite passing down guy if Chris Carson isn't active. So, yeah, uh, DJ Dallas, could 45 snaps again. And if, if you're playing 45 snaps in the Seahawks offense and you're a running back, it doesn't even really matter how bad you are.
2: No, it really doesn't. Not when the defense has to, you know, account for guys like like Lockett and Metcalf. And I guess this is more just like a, a one-off question, but it's been you know bandied around on, on the timeline a, a bit this week. Do you think the, that uh, DK Metcalf is the best receiver in football now?
1: Um, it, he could be. I haven't really tried to figure out that question in a while, but... I don't
2: know if there's anyone else I would rather have. I guess it, I don't it technically means he's the best or or whatever, but if i'm like just picking a receiver to start my receiving court i'm not going anywhere else but matt Caff, i don't think
1: yeah that's fair and i think there's an argument to make that even if you're not specifically thinking of usage uh as far as he specifically goes the kinds of details that he brings to an offense uh, are, are such helpful things for for kind of like foundational traits of you know uh, the the space on the field that and the things that that opens up for everybody else on the field when you can credibly threaten the parts of the field that metcalf does it's like that's pretty rare and uh even if he's only giving you like 1200 yards or something maybe he's creating more room for other players that that doesn't show up specifically there so in in other words like even if he's not at good not as good of a route runner on like these intermediate routes like even if he can't do stefan Diggs kind of route it's like maybe his overall effect uh is is such that it's you know he, he can he can make everybody else better in a way that other receivers can't so I wouldn't argue against it if I was picking somebody else I guess it might be AJ Brown and uh AJ Brown Julio Jones I guess th- those are the guys that I'm I'm looking at I never believed Michael Thomas was one of the best receivers. or he's one of the best but he's like a top six five kind of guy to me Beckham used to be there he's he's too injured these days to, to really compete like that and Julio's is still pretty much obviously time's gonna come for him eventually
2: yeah I think so too uh, I'm glad you you brought up AJ Brown you know we're, we're big AJ Brown guys of course as well uh very SEC biased here on the on this podcast but but uh anyway we'll move on uh let's get on Broncos Falcons you think Drew Locke is is startable this week potentially against this Falcons secondary? Yeah.
1: I mean technically he was startable last week, even though it was you know up and down as a game and it barely came together at the last second. The Falcons, you know, they're they're the they're just about the dumbest team. Them and the Cowboys, I guess, are just the most disgraceful teams aside from the jets it's, it's we got like three of the five most disgraceful teams in nfl history all this year happening <laughs> so it's hard it's hard to stay with any conviction which one is the worst out of them but um it's bad and their defense is bad so it's it's um it's one of those things like i don't want to say Locke is especially good i don't really think he is but he keeps kind of a he, he always stays in the right mindset to, to be competitive in a game. Like he's, he's not really worth, he, he's not a Tannehill type who will fold if, if he gets like slapped up a bit, like he'll, mm-hmm. he'll, even if it's just because of, uh you know, not knowing any better, it's like, he, he kind of stays focused competitively. Cause he always thinks he's got a shot and that really paid off in a game like last week In a game like this, the, Fal- the Falcons defense is so bad and matchup by matchup. It's like Jerry Judy in the slot. That's, That's a Judy advantage. KJ Hamler against uh, whoever, Kendall Sheffield. I probably give Hamler the advantage. Tim Patrick on AJ Terrell. That's tough, but Tim Patrick's been playing really well this year. Uh, Noah Fantz, hopefully a little healthier in this one. So hopefully he can get better return for his targets. seems like they didn't really feature Albert Aquegmanum until late last week, but he's kind of the reason they won. So I'm wondering if they're maybe going to try to keep him more consistently involved because he's he's been so good and at this point there's not much objective reason to say Noah Fant is definitely better and at some point if if he keeps playing like he has been that's going to creep into the minds of the Denver coaches but in the meantime it's like just use both of them especially in a setting like this I was gonna
2: say yeah why don't they just start using you know more two tight end sets because I mean that that's where so much of their skill position talent is is located right now I mean I think it might make
1: Judy worse and that
2: don't get me wrong. That I is political. Put, mm-hmm.
1: I would put Judy outside and just say like, you know, just just do it, and like he'd probably be fine. It's just like he's not gonna have, in my opinion, like a Calvin Ridley scenario as an outside receiver. I, I feel like Judy's better in the slot, but uh, with, with the way Oklahoma and Fant can collectively, per, they they can threaten so much speed for so much mass. It's just it's one of those things where you shouldn't spend so much time as a, as a coach specifically thinking out, like, how are we going to use this? It's more like, just put that on the field and watch the defense kind of struggle with it. And then things will work itself out.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that definitely makes sense. I think that I would love to see more of those two guys. I think they're both very good. I think, you were definitely right in, in saying that Alberto it was very underrated during the draft process, and he's got some really interesting upside to his game. Um, so I would love to see him get get more involved. Um, let's get over to the Atlanta side of this one. Looks like Calvin Ridley, speak of the devil, is day to day. Obviously yeah. he suffered that injury against the Panthers in in that rainy one. A last thursday um so he gets a little bit of extra time to to get himself ready um but don't know if he's going to be at 100 percent in this one uh if if he is limited or out you know how much does that sting this atlanta passing attack and and, you know specifically um you know how much does that hurt matt ryan's like you know fantasy outlook for the week does he fall outside of the top 12 i think it hurts
1: quite a bit i i mean julio's awesome but if you're if you're talking about Vic Fangio going against this dirt cutter offense where it's just Julio on the field and then the next best pass catcher is either Hayden Hurst or Russell Gage. And then the running game is led by Todd Gurley and Brian Hill. So I think Fangio can find a way to deal with Julio in that case. I don't think you're hurting a Vic Fangio defense with any of these other pieces that we just identified. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not a better and I'm probably bad at it if I tried. But it makes no sense to me that money is coming in on the Falcons in this game. Uh, that that it went from three and a half Falcons to four, with the over/under going up by three. Like if you think the Broncos are going to score enough points such that the
2: over/under goes up by three and the spread only goes up by a half a point, I think you're losing maybe by like a touchdown or something. Because
1: if if the Broncos are scoring then that means the Broncos offense is doing okay against this Atlanta defense but the the Denver defense is not going to just fold especially if if Ridley's out but even if Ridley's in I I don't know I just don't trust Fangio I don't trust uh, cutter to ever get his team to play up to their their level of talent and I always expect a Vic Fangio defense to play above its level of talent so um, the Falcons defense if it doesn't stop Drew Lock then I think the Broncos win
2: I, I like that call a lot. I think that yeah, the, the coaching edge definitively on the on the Broncos side here, especially like the Broncos defense versus Falcons offense, especially again if the Falcons are at less than full strength as their skill position guys go on offense. Before we get over to our next game, we got a message from our friends over at PropSwap. Smart sports betters always know where to find the best odds before placing a bet, and that's why smart betters use prop swap. You can always find the best odds on PropSwap because you're buying directly from other bettors like yourself. See a ticket you like but think the price is too high? Submit a bid for a price you think is fair, then buy it. PropSwap sellers are always willing to negotiate, and we all know bookies never will. And for a limited time, our listeners can get up to $500 in bonus cash. Just use the promo code ROTO500. That's promo code roto Five zero zero and PropSwap will match your first deposit up to five hundred dollars. Become a smarter sports better today. Go to PropSwap.com or download the PropSwap. App. Got a message from our friends over at BetMGM. We know football is back, but did you know that new customers at BetMGM can still get a 100% deposit match up to $500? Simply sign up and make a deposit with the bonus code ROTOWIRE to take advantage of this offer. There's never been a better time to get in on the action at BetMGM with parlay, bonus payouts, live betting, daily boosted odds, specials, and more. Don't let one minute of NFL action pass you by. Download the BetMGM app today or go to betmgm.com and use bonus code rotowire to double your betting bankroll with a 100% deposit match up to $500. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, or West Virginia. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada or 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia, or 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. All right, Mario, let's get on over to our next game. We got the Ravens going up against the Colts. Um, the Colts, uh, they are at home. The Ravens, two-point favorites coming off that, that tough loss. Um, against Pittsburgh this past Sunday um, turnovers really sunk them in that game because it, as far as the, the yardage outputs were concerned I, th- I thought the Ravens were, were moving the ball pretty convincingly on on Pittsburgh Pittsburgh not as much on the other side and, and yet Pittsburgh you know they get the pick six early in the game uh, they get some other big big turnovers as the game unfolds and you know Ben Roethlisberger kept kept things pretty buttoned up I know he had some interception issues against Tennessee didn't really ha- unfold that way in Baltimore. He played well enough to, to help um, seal that victory for Pittsburgh. So what does this Ravens offense need to do to to get into gear? I mean, we we saw, again, like I was saying with the turnovers, but we also saw like Marquise Brown, you know, tweet out some, some stuff after the game that, that was later deleted about kind of unhappy with, with the usage, um, with his usage in the offense, that sort of thing. So what's going on here and, and can it get better Sunday in Indianapolis?
1: I'm not really sure. I feel like there are pretty clear possible ways for them to fix it, but I can't tell really what they think the problems are and what they think solutions might be to those problems. Like I might have different views on both of those questions than they might. And when you don't know what they're thinking, it makes it harder to guess how, how they might, you know, think, think in terms of adjustments that they could make. So I When I look at the Colts' defense, this isn't a defense that uses as much man coverage as some other defenses. Like Matt Aberflues definitely likes to use zone coverages, and he's, he's good at picking the personnel that, that execute these zones. And they have, they have very varied personnel in that, that Colts' defense. So they, they have a bunch of guys. They're kind of like a swarm of players without many stars, aside from Darius Leonard. And, and the swarm tends to work pretty well. I just don't know how much the Lamar Jackson offense specifically is the kind of zones uh, or is the kind of offense that those zones are designed in response to. Like, I don't know if they're more like a response to a West Coast offense, a nice classic West Coast offense. Like maybe that's what Aberflus is more designed to stop than this sort of like postmodern Lamar Jackson, Brian Dable kind of offense where you do a lot of run fakes anchored at the quarterback with a lot of corner targets from the receivers, vertical targets from the receivers. So on the one hand, I can imagine Aberflues having good ideas about where to put his zones to, to kind of – I think uh, the the Ravens' offense has gotten a bit predictable, and if, if that remains the case here, Aberflues just in general is the kind of guy I think who can come up with some good ideas to sit on it. So if he does, then the Ravens need to turn it into a matter of kind of winning their one-on-one matchups, and I start to think about that scenario specifically, and I think they probably can – uh, it's not like a lock or anything, but I can imagine even if Aberflus gets Xavier Rhodes to sit down in the right spot on this Marquise Brown route, Marquise Brown can just you know, lose him by a tiny bit and then just kind of run away after that. I don't know. Those corners aren't generally built for receivers like Marquise Brown and Devin DuVernay. They're more built for kind of like – and kind of receivers so I feel like Brown and DuVernay especially should be able to get open uh Miles Boykin I can't really imagine does much he was he was okay last week but I still really think they're hurting themselves by not going to DuVernay and uh, I don't think Boykin can do anything against Xavier Rhodes I I think that's just like a no-go
2: oh so that like that's like the type of corner that that specifically sets up to to or that that would give uh Boykin the problems yeah, because
1: you you don't really see like six four corners, you know. Generally, sure. the biggest a corner gets is a guy like Xavier Rhodes, and the reason is because they need more uh, left to right kind of uh, stop and start kind of ability than a receiver can. Because a receiver's they're swerving up the field, you know, they don't have to yeah, go yeah. all directions. So uh, Rhodes is as big as it gets, basically, and Boykins as big as and fast as a receiver gets, basically. So I I, I think uh, Rakiasin he's a little thinner at least. But even he's like six foot or whatever, so uh, I don't really see how Boykin gets on these guys unless they kind of just bri- the, one of their coverages busts or something.
2: Yeah, and I've I've noticed that Boykin's like snap shares and snap counts are, are, have been going down a little bit. I know that again, like he he played reasonably well last week, had the, had the touchdown and everything like that, but um, I, I think we'll start to see DuVernay uh, creep up and as far as the snap share is concerned and, and maybe start to, um, you know, take a little bit more of those left outside um, reps, uh, that sort of thing. I know that that's where most of his, like, outside reps have gone at, at uh, Boykin's expense. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. As far as this Ravens backfield goes, I think a lot of fantasy managers out there were clamoring, like, you know, send, send Mark Ingram, you know, Far away, like exile, and we need to see the the Edwards Dobbins show. And you know Ingram, of course, gets hurt against Philadelphia, isn't ready after the bye week, so uh, he sits out. And both Edwards and Dobbins look really, really good against a, a very, very stout um, Pittsburgh defense. If if Ingram is out again this week, do you think that both um, Dobbins and uh, Edwards are, are like start worthy? It's pretty close, and I, I'm inclined to say
1: yes because. In Dobbins' case, it's like er, er, it, you can imagine a scenario where the, the the Ravens basically need to abandon the Gus Edwards usage, but in that scenario, Dobbins would probably be involved as a pass catcher, and particularly in the context of this offense needing a new threat, a previously non-existing threat to emerge, that's. That's something that's just screaming for Dobbins, I think, because it's like the the opening is there. The usage is, is up for grabs. It's in limbo. And he's the level of talent where you don't need to come up with some great scheme to get involved. You just need to give him the ball. And he, he can exploit any part of the defense where they're not taking him seriously. And they, I think they need to feed him, uh, get get him involved more ways until some new pass catching threat emerges, because like the slack is there It's, it's it, in the slack it's it's great when you have a situation where some unexpected slack occurs and you have a talent like Dobbins to turn to. They should they should just you know go head first into that premise. I think, but Gus Edwards as a pure runner is so automatic with the way that this offense structures because. the the choice is basically as a defense, like you let Gus Edwards get four and a half, five yards of carry, or you let Lamar Jackson turn the corner on you. So you just kind of leave it there. And you might think you're ready to stop Gus Edwards and think like, okay, we simply need to stop the outside. And then we know it's going to Edwards. And so we just got to tackle him. And it's like, this guy's 230 pounds. He is. And he doesn't need to look at where he's going to, to, to go the right way on this play. Like he just hammers it every time. It's a very simple task that he has and he's very good at it and it wears on a defense to withstand him. Like they, they maybe they stop him a few times. Maybe he doesn't just ru- split the safeties on him, but eventually he can do that too. So it's like, it, it makes everybody better in that offense when they get the defense to to kind of key on Gus Edwards a little bit. And Ingram didn't show the ability to cause that sort of damage inside before he got hurt. So I do think keeping them both involved is crucial for for the Ravens, especially while Marquise Brown and, and even Mark Andrews are kind of struggling a bit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. that That's basically the only thing that it seems to be working right now. I don't know if, if the passing game will get fixed this year one way or the other, but it, it does feel like that at least the rushing component um, should get back, get itself back on track if it can, if it can move pittsburgh you can probably move that well against just about anybody um let's get to the indianapolis uh backfield though because i think that's like the, the most you know critical fantasy position to talk about when it when it comes to indianapolis i, I think philip rivers we've said enough uh these pass catchers really you know philip rivers are quarterback, so that makes it tough but what do we make of the jonathan taylor naheem hines jordan wilkins situation now i'm not really sure
1: Uh, It's kind of interesting that Taylor showed up with an ankle thing on the injury report. It was, it was a really bad outcome last week for Taylor and good for Jordan Wilkins, but it wouldn't surprise me if the ankle had something to do with Taylor sitting out because he, he had 11 carries kind of early into the game and then he didn't get another carry for like a quarter and a half or something. And Wilkins had the same carry count up to that point and then got all of the remaining carries after that. So Uh, Maybe they were just going to Wilkins because they were like, oh, a hot hand thing. But excuse me, I think other than a 16-yard carry, Wilkins actually had the same yardage count as Taylor up until the 13th carry. So when the difference between the two is a 16-yard carry, it's like, yeah, I think Taylor can get a 16-yard carry. I'm not convinced that Wilkins is better. But I do think Wilkins is pretty good. I think he's just one of those guys who doesn't really project well as a starter or a high-usage guy because of his build. Like he's kind of... High, he's almost like a bigger Justin Jackson I feel like in that he's he definitely knows how to run and he's slick and his his instincts as a runner are, are really good but he needs to have those really good instincts because his physical traits aren't ideal and uh it's like specifically I, I wish Wilkins was like 20 pounds heavier or like three inches shorter or something like that mm. um, but he's really slippery and he he knows how to set up defenders and, and split them uh, even if he's not like faster than them or stronger than them so he won't fail I don't think with with usage that they give him and and that's a bit of a problem because it's like you'd rather have your competition your the fantasy competition you would rather be a guy who you can bank on stumbling at some point and letting your guy get the next opportunity but I don't think wilkins does that I think he's he's a good player so that's concerning for taylor's sake uh the hind stuff seems to fluctuate wildly from week to week like the, he's had games like last week pretty much i feel like week one he did actually and then the next week they just don't use him so he can show up it seems like they kind of have game plan based decisions that they make before the kickoff uh determining his usage and we're never privy to any of it so who knows i, I don't really like chasing players like that but if you're if you ch- if your uh, choices are limited then i guess it's less of a, a practical concern then
2: Okay, yeah, that's that's the right way to frame it, because, yeah, there there are you know, he has two games above 20 points on DraftKings this year and then uh, only one other one north of 10. The rest of them, Uh, the other ones like are are like seven points or less. So uh, some very, very low floor for him. Um, I guess my my like final question, my last question uh, when it comes to Indianapolis is. You know, with, with all those factors in mind, with the case you laid out with, with Jordan Wilkins, plus the fact that the Taylor um, sh- showed up on the injury report this week, can you feel comfortable starting him against Baltimore?
1: Well, if Taylor's active and if Wilkins is active, uh, Wilkins seems to be fine, and uh, they both seem fine, I should say. Uh, but if they're active, I think, uh, particularly with the injury situation around the league, and we got we some bye weeks this week, right? So, yeah, um, there's. Probably uh, You probably have a really good team if you're comfortably putting Jonathan Taylor on the bench. And if you have to put him in your starting lineup, I think you're probably about as well off or better off than most people. So uh, at least given this weird point in time that we're at, I guess that's kind of how I see it. Okay,
2: All right. That that makes sense. Um, Let's move on over. Game of the week. Texans Jaguars. Jake Luton season. (laughs) What is going on? Well, um, I've been wrong
1: about some quarterback stuff lately. I don't, um, not a, I don't. I wouldn't say any more than most people. Like I think I'm still right about quarterbacks more than most people. But like, I, I've been surprised by a few things here or there. Like for instance, I wouldn't have expected Gardner Minshew to play as much as he has, and, and even though he's struggled, I, I wouldn't have even expected him to make it this far. So when I say that Jake Luton might be the worst quarterback prospect that I've ever seen, it doesn't <laughs> shut down. All possibility. Like there's still that possibility that I just kind of didn't see something that the. And Luton definitely makes some kind of nice-looking throws, and he's for a tall quarterback, he is pretty flexible. Like he's not, he, he's a uh, he doesn't look like Drew Bledsoe, even though he's probably the same height and weight as Drew Bledsoe or whatever. He he, he can he can probably like uh do it a two-point stance for instance, but it's just not. That useful that he does these kind of like skills competition pretty throws because his actual production just wasn't very good. And even last year at Oregon State, which was his fifth in college after he transferred from Idaho, where he was also insanely bad. And it was only this last year for Luton Lou where he put it all together. And even then you're talking like low seven yards per attempt, mid to low 60s completion percentage. Like he should have been completing 70 percent of his passes at that, that experience level at that yards per attempt. And he, I think just is one of these guys who just doesn't have the movement speed necessary for the NFL, like I think this is the kind of guy who's going to take a lot of hits while he's doing his windup still. And he's uh, Tom Savage comes to mind, I guess like Tom Savage had this amazing inability to just always think the pass rush wasn't there yet. And it was very there. Like he would, he would be just com- about to get devoured by five different defenders at once. And he's thinking like, this is great. I'm going to make a cool throw in a couple seconds here. And it never happened. And I I see Luton get that too. Like the, like I can see him taking hits, not even from the blind side and just like not even seeing it coming as some guys like zeroed in on him for a good two or three seconds. Going at him like a train. I don't trust him to see the defender in that case, and even if he does, I don't know what he can do about it. He's got a bit of a windup. He's he's gangly, so he he can make these nice looking throws when he's set up. But I think getting a guy like him set up is going to be harder than some coaches expect. Um. So yeah, basically fifth fifth year guy who only in his fifth year was able to become like a slightly above average starter for Oregon State. That's one of those categorical things. Anything to do with, and then when you turn on the tape. It, it's just, I think he's too delicate. Basically, like he's he's uh he's like a flower who needs a greenhouse to make the the quarterback throws, if I may mix the metaphor for a minute. And uh, there's, there, there's no such greenhouse in the, in the NFL.
2: No, no, they're gonna they're gonna come charging through, and they're gonna they're gonna muck up your uh, garden. Bad um, defense,
1: though. Maybe the maybe the Texans suck enough for. Luton yeah, both look- both
2: these defenses are terrible. So I mean, I guess. But Luton might just be so bad that, it, that you know, even Houston can, can really stop it. Um, I guess what I what I want to know from, you know, from the downgrade at quarterback. Do you like do you have concerns about using DJ Chark? Uh, yeah. Lavisca Vizca Chenault. OK, if you're concerned about Shark, then I, I know the answer for, for the other two. So, yeah, not a great projection as far as those pass catchers go. Um, do you think they just ride James Robinson really heavy here?
1: Yeah, and uh well you would probably know better than me about Luton at Oregon State. Like what was his deal when the going got tough? Like did he check down or he he had a pretty low completion percentage for a low wide. Imagine him being like a throwaway guy or a guy who uh chucks it at
2: the sideline something like that. But, yeah, he yeah, that was that was more his speed, yeah. Okay, so
1: he was also very play action dependent is something that I noticed in his tape. So I, I don't know. I think I think he sucks and Uh, Robinson they'll definitely stick with and however much success Robinson can have in spite of Luton, then maybe that will keep the script viable for him to just run all game. And maybe that's the way they keep it going. But if they need Luton to throw like 35 passes, then um, I can imagine him finishing with like less than 200 yards, even against the Texans.
2: (laughs) Yeah. uh, So that's not going to be pretty Um, on the Texans side of things. um, They did not get rid of Will Fuller. Smart move by them. Um, What do you make of their offense this week?
1: Well, uh, maybe a little awkward for them, but uh, the matchup, pretty nice. Henderson might follow around Fuller, might be challenging for Cooks on the applicable routes, but I don't really see that as a big thing. And I feel like Watson should have a defense as bad as the Jaguars, a little bit off rhythm in general. Like, they should... Fells should be open if Fuller isn't. Cooks should be open if Fells and, and Fuller aren't, et cetera. There, there should always be some way Randall Cobb could have a good game here. Okay, all right, that all checks out.
2: David Johnson is he healthy? I can't remember what his deal is, but a good setup for him. I've like forgotten about David Johnson essentially at this point. I you just care. didn't have any shares of him. Yeah. So, I mean, it's I'm aware of him, but uh, you guys, the
1: listeners, can figure this one out. It's not yeah. our job.
2: Coming up coming off the bye. Um, all right. So let's get on over. We got Detroit, Minnesota Stafford, of course, um, he's very, very questionable to play uh, with, with with the covid issue there. Um, Kenny Galladay, of course, uh, got injured this past week. So that's another tough mark, you know, dealing with that hip uh, listed as doubtful as of as of Wednesday. So that doesn't bode particularly well. Um, For for Detroit, they're going up against a Minnesota team that I I think had one of the more shocking results of all of last weekend with with their ability to go into Green Bay um, and get the win. And they basically just saw the whole, you know, uh, okay, you guys are conceding the run. Well, let's see how far that, you know, that theory can take you and and just like kind of had Dalvin Cook just gash them over and over again. Does Detroit have that same sort of run defense deficiency to where Minnesota can get away with that similar game script this time around?
1: Well, I think they should get away with it, even if Cook falls to like four yards a carry or whatever, just because, I mean, if Stafford's not out there, then this is just a joke of a game. But if Stafford's out there and there's no Galladay, I'm not convinced that Marvin Jones is good enough to really hurt like I think he'll hurt the the Vikings corners and that he'll be efficient but I don't know if he can be efficient in uh the kind of escalated volume that they would need to pick up the slack from Galladay missing from the field and the Detroit run game will be non-viable I think like Eric Kendricks is too good in my opinion to let running backs especially like with the just with the general nature of the Detroit offensive like it'd be one thing if they had a road grading offensive line or something but uh DeAndre Swift Maybe in another year would, would he be able to stand up to a test like Kendrick's? But uh, very few players can can play against Kendrick's and get uh, the upper hand on him. And uh, with a with a team as just kind of dysfunctional as the Lions, I feel like it's impossible that they would be the one to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: that, yeah, that's. Not not a great situation. So they, they're the going case.
1: so badly. I, I think the Lions will go so badly, in other words, that I almost worry about uh, the the Vikings ending up in a situation where they're like, you know what, Dalvin, take the last quarter and a half off. Alexander Madison has this.
2: Ooh. Well, for, for the guy that, that forgot to drop Alexander Madison, maybe maybe I go back to the well. You well, could so. do a lot
1: worse, I think, with all the goofy stuff going on.
2: Yeah, honestly, that's that's how crazy the running back landscape is right now, where where even after his dreadful performance, when he got the start a few weeks ago, he still might be on the radar Um, onto this matchup before we move on.
1: No, uh, it should be a good setup for Kirk Cousins, too. Like Maybe, maybe the Vikings give the, the run game a bit of a day off to try to make Kirk feel good about himself again, because uh, those corners. Uh, definitely can't cover Thielen and Jefferson if they, if
2: they want to make it that kind of game. Yeah, you you know it's a bad situation when the Vikings have like a, a workshop for a regular season game. That that's it's not a great sign for the Detroit Lions. But of course, you know if you if you're out Stafford, then there's not a whole lot you can do anyway. Let's get on over. We got the Giants versus the Football Team. It feels like this is the 14th time that they've played this season. Only the second. Um, football team two and a half point favorites in this matchup. Um, I guess football team coming off the bye, the Giants coming off a, a game where they, they could have done it against the the Bucks, uh, but they did not. Of course, what's your read on this matchup? It's kind of tough because I guess at this point it's safe. To, <clears throat> excuse me, it's safe to say
1: that the Giants' defense is better than I thought it would be going into this year. It seems like it's actually a good defense. So. If they're a good defense, then I don't think Kyle Allen is good enough to move the ball reliably against them. And if Kyle Allen's kind of mucking things up for the Washington offense, uh, that offensive line obviously can implode like no other and be he held up by the rest of the offense. Allen can't do it against a defense like this, so I can see their, their struggles compounding each other, making it pretty tough on Antonio Gibson to keep his momentum going, but... If they give him usage, I think Gibson's one of those guys who's just going to break a 70-yard carry of, with enough time. Like maybe you keep him to 18 yards on the first 15 or something, but size and speed eventually just gets a crack of space, and that's all he really needs. But I don't know if he'll get a chance at that kind of volume, so I'm not ex- I'm not exactly optimistic for him this. Um, but there's also on the other side the chance that you could have a game script where. Daniel Jones struggles so much, offense struggles so much against the Washington defense that maybe Gibson will get that volume and, and get that chance to eventually make the big play or wear down the defense and start making chunk gains, things like that. So uh, th- th- there's a way it could go. I guess it kind of comes down to, like, which quarterback melts down worse than the <laughs> – and I have no idea how to call that because, um, I, I mean – I guess I guess I lean toward Washington having the advantage just because the Giants' offensive line is bad too. Whereas uh, the, the, even though the Washington offensive line is really bad, the Giants' defense is only good in ways that more so threaten the run blocking. Like it's it's really tough to run on Dalvin Tomlinson, Leonard Williams, uh, what's the other guy? Uh, d- uh, the, the the Clemson guy. Uh, the, oh, Dexter Lawrence. Yeah. Dexter Lawrence, The huge uh, Clemson guy, those three guys are all gigantic and it's tough to move them. And I can imagine there being very little running room as a result, but they're also not likely to collapse the pocket and eat Kyle Allen alive the way Montez sweat and chase young can on the other side. So I guess I lean toward Jones melting down worse, but I don't know. It's like if he gets time to throw, he has the much better receivers like Sterling Shepard's really good. He's playing at a high level. Darius Slayton. Very good. Evan Ingram getting going a little bit, but uh, Jones better get rid of it quick because I I just don't see the Giants offensive line having much of an answer. It's like they got to use misdirection and catch Washington off guard.
2: Yeah, because because otherwise, yeah, that that Washington pass rush is too much. Um, Last time out, it looks like the Giants offense basically only ran 48 plays. Jones went 12 of 19 for a whopping 112 yards, one touchdown, one pick. His day was salvaged by 74 yards on the ground in that one.
1: 55 Uh, miles per hour, John. Can you believe that? That's how fast Daniel Jones was on his...
2: Yes, fun fact. Daniel Jones, fastest man on earth. Not just fastest accountant in the world, just fastest man. Just ridiculous speed from that guy. Um, Let's get on over to the Bears going up against the Titans. Point favorites in this matchup, um, coming off a pretty interesting game. Whereas the Bears, their game against the Saints was a bit uh, tough to watch, um, as we as we've kind of go- come to expect from the Nick Foles Bears. Um, what do we make of this matchup here?
1: It's tough because the the Bears' offense is bad, of course, but so is the Tennessee defense, and I don't even really know why. They've been as bad as they've been, Uh particularly not getting any pressure on Joe Burrow last week was strange because it seemed like the Bengals try to get him hit. Like, it yeah. seems like they go out there and they're like, hey, defense, you want to beat up on this guy for a while? Well, here you go. And the Titans were like, it's a trap. Stay back. And he just, you know, not that Burrow tore them apart or whatever, but like he kind of had a, you know way different looking game than he normally has like even in his good games in previous cases like he gets clobbered all game and uh, maybe like one or two hits in that one so I don't know if that was something of a puzzling strategy result for the Titans or if they just cannot rush the passer at all and with their corner personnel being compromised like Adoree Jackson I don't know when he gets back or whatever but uh, Chris Jackson Malcolm Butler Jonathan Joseph it's not very good and Kevin Bayard can't keep it all from falling apart at safety. So uh, even with giant Brown and Kevin Bayard making the middle of the field tougher to throw on, it's like those guys can't get their coverage assignments done at corner. So those kinds of corners, those kinds of results at cornerback going against Allen Robinson and with Darnell Mooney looking pretty good. Dar- Darnell Mooney actually, uh, he almost looks like he's like a smaller Stefan Diggs or something like that. Like he, he looks really mm-hmm. good. and, I I might think Foles sucks, but do I think that he can't complete passes to Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller and Darnell Mooney against these Titans corners if the Titans aren't even rushing the passer? It's like, I don't know if Foles is that bad. I don't know if there are many NFL quarterbacks that bad. So I can kind of see the Bears making a game of it. And if they can, that's kind of dangerous for the Titans because, like, Derrick Henry should have a good enough game here. But the Bears... Tend to play like the run defense hasn't been good this year. To be clear, but they tend to just kind of show up for a player like that. Like it, it, I don't think this is uh, the days of the Bears defense getting run over or anything like that. I think they they uh, can clamp down, especially when their pass defense has been good. Otherwise, and their pass defense has been good, so maybe they take a little bit off the pass and put it toward the run, and maybe they slow Derek Henry, and maybe Tannehill is taking these snaps from second and long, and maybe. Khalil Mack is coming in and Tannehill starts getting scared like he does. And that's how it can kind of fall apart for the Titans, I think. But uh, if they get Henry rolling, then they keep Tannehill in the setup where he thrives, which is like, yeah, you know, kind of needs things teed up for him. And when you tee it up for him, he, he, he makes his shot. But he he can only take that kind of like sniper shot. Like He has no in-between game and he 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 just falls apart when he gets hit a little bit. And, and when he, you know, Khalil Mack, but I- I- a uh, I- Mack and Akeem Hicks are about as big of a rattle risk as it gets. So uh, I am a little concerned about the Titans. I, I feel like uh, you know they they should win, but six points, six and a half points feels like a lot to me given the range of possible outcomes. I guess.
2: No, that, that, that's a good point. I, I think n- not a ton of people do bring it up when it comes to the Titans and, and their inability to kind of respond on offense when things aren't going absolutely perfectly. Um, it-, it does. Get pretty clunky there, like you said. When when Tannehill uh, gets a little bit off rhythm, get, gets uncomfortable back there, then the passing game starts to to fold in on itself. And you know when you when like the bread and butter of your offense is like a gigantic running back, you know eventually a team will just kind of to to stop him or or force him up the middle because he he does tend to like bounce things um, outside. So either way, you know like things. When things aren't going perfectly for the Titans, they, they tend to be pretty ugly. And, and that, again, like you said, is something where uh, the Bears can can make this a, a particularly tough matchup for the Titans in maybe a way that the spread doesn't imply or maybe you wouldn't expect just at your initial glance. Um, let's get on over. We got the Raiders going up against the Chargers. Chargers, one-point favorites at home in this matchup. Uh You know, neither of these teams are going to be facing the the weather elements that they were a week ago. So that's obviously a good thing for both of these passing games. Uh, You know, ended up being totally wrong about the Raiders because, I mean, the wind was so crazy um, up in Cleveland. That was a Um, hurricane. So I'll go ahead and double down on that. I think the Raiders passing game can do well this week, provided that uh, there isn't uh, ridiculous winds within the, the, the dome of SoFi Stadium or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to glance at the injury reports here just to see. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what the latest is with the Raiders and their offense. Oh, wait, they played the game, so they're fine. OK, all right. So um, I think if, uh, if Derek Carr is looking on the field the same way he did against the Chiefs two weeks ago, then I actually think he could throw on this Chargers defense like that particular Derek Carr, that version of them. Can throw on this Chargers defense, I think, because the way you beat this, the, the way you fail against this Chargers defense is to play the way Derek Carr normally does. It's to sit on the underneath and intermediate where Casey Hayward's kind of most comfortable, where Chris Harris, when he's healthy, is most comfortable. <clears throat> and it's it's letting that pass rush uh, kind of compound your funnel toward that part of the field by, by not leaving you the choice, by making you get rid of the ball so quick it goes there. And then these corners kind of just sit on those routes and, and pick on you while you're running into this trap that they've already set up. So the way you beat Hayward, this has always been the case, but it's all, it's especially the case now at his current age, now that he's losing some speed that he couldn't afford to. You want to make him turn and run. You want to make Chris Harris turn and run and you hit them deep and then that kind of makes the whole thing fall apart and then you can start running on them a little bit. But when they're when they're playing that downhill style of defense and you're just playing into it, it's like that's how you really fail against that defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just got rid of Desmond King, <clears throat> which seems like it should be a downgrade at the slot corner position. Uh Michael Davis is, is a good corner, or at least he's, he's getting good results. He's he's bigger than Hayward and faster than Hayward, so he can run a little bit. But uh, he probably can't run with Henry Ruggs very long, and Hayward definitely can't. So if they get he- uh, Henry Ruggs going deep in this game, take some shots deep, that's a good way. That, that's one of the better things they could do, I think. I, I guess Aguilar could do something, too. But I, I don't think of him specifically as the downfield threat that Ruggs is. To me, it's like Aguilar is a guy who can create separation in the intermediate and underneath and run after the catch. But I don't really want to be sending him on too many fly routes really. Um, but yeah, between all that and the customary threat posed by Waller, I think there should be a way for the Raiders offense to do better than maybe we would usually expect in a setting like this, which could have pretty big uh, repercussions if it, that is the case, because then we would have probably a nice big shootout here because we would probably expect Herbert and the offense to do well against this Raiders defense that's been bad in pretty much every way this year. So I think we can take the Chargers offense for granted. The question is, what can we what kind of response can we expect from the Raiders? And I feel like they might be like they might, they might have a better like counter uh, sort of maneuver than we might give them general credit for.
2: Yeah, no, yeah, people. I mean, obviously, again, last week it didn't go well, but the weather was such a huge factor in that one. Um, but the Raiders' offense, you know, has kind of reshaped itself a bit this year with, with all the downfield weapons that they have now. Um, so. People may or may not have caught up to it, but either way, I mean, we, we got a nice over-under here at 52 points. Um, I could see this going well on both sides. This will definitely be one that I'm invested in uh, from DFS perspective a fair bit. I guess one guy, kind of a fringe radar guy to to mention when it comes to the Chargers, what are your impressions on Jalen Guyton? Because it seems like, you know, they, they just send him on, on like these deep routes, occasionally he comes down with it for a big play, you know, only has like a... Barely over a 50% catch rate, but it's been explosive when it, when he's gotten it. So is he someone that like, if nothing else, like is he on your Debbie or like your dynasty radar or anything like that?
1: Unfortunately, I would guess he's more likely than not another Robert Foster kind of case. Just Ouch. if only. Well, just if only because it's like these routes that he's been making catches on are so high difficulty. And you know, like you mentioned, he's barely over 50%. It's like, well. Running a 23.1-yard average depth of target, you're kind of lucky to even be over 50. It's like the baseline expectation for that is probably like 40% or something. And as much as Guyton might be uniquely good at this one kind of play, he's probably going to be subject to, at the very least, like unfair regression. And that will probably take him toward more of that 40 mark. And it's like, he's unpredictably useful right now. Uh, He will be more like, Predictably useless if the number goes toward that baseline which he's playing above right now, but he he can definitely run and he was a pretty good player at North Texas It just seems like he he doesn't really have like a rounded game Like he he can be good enough if you need him to threaten two points on the field Uh, And that's kind of the setup that the Chargers have right now, but uh, I generally would be I would generally be worried that he's liable to get kind of like displaced by a better prospect in the future and uh it, he would need to go to another team to get the usage uh, escalation cuz obviously Keenan Allen Mike Williams Hunter Henry it's like Hunter Henry's really good and he hasn't done that much this year so mm-hmm. uh, that, that that's another way that Guyton could get his cut uh, made even smaller yet
2: okay all right good good to know i mean he can burn though he like yeah.
1: he, he can make some plays i've
2: been i've been enjoying uh you know his mini uh, surgeons th- this year but yeah i mean in reality i, I think that There's too much working against him, like you said, in the way that he's currently being used. seems like that's what he's best cut out for, and that just leaves a very, very slim margin for error. Uh, We were obviously just talking about one stud rookie quarterback in Justin Herbert. We got one who's still obviously trying to find his way. This is only his second start. Of course, talking about Tua Tungavailoa going up against the Cardinals on the road. Tua struggled um, in, in his season debut or his first start. I think that we both kind of saw that coming with the way that the Rams have played defense this year. It's a, That was a really, really tough setup. You know, you got Aaron Donald blowing up the middle of the line, and you got to figure things out after that, and they got all these complex, you know, coverages for the Rams. So that didn't go particularly well for Tua. They didn't need it to, um, however. Um, but in this matchup, going up against Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, um, you know, I think that it might be a little bit more on, on Tua and the offense to to help keep pace in this one. So can he do it against the Cardinals? Because we've seen the Cardinals, when they have blood in the water on the on the other side, you know, the, the Andy Dalton game against the Cardinals, where they can just blitz, 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 and, you know, make things work that way and create havoc that way. Can they do that same thing against Tua?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I think... Uh... The Cardinals, when they when they had that overtime, the, those tricks in overtime against the Seahawks and like that Isaiah Simmons play, that was so cool. It's like that stuff that works because you're surprising that quarterback and uh, it wouldn't have worked a second time. But Tua, it's tough to tell where he's at and his ability to recognize things because last week was such a disaster. Um, they, like you said, didn't really need to put him out for further exposure. So we don't know how he would have truly responded in a, a, you know, typically competitive scenario. I'm kind of optimistic, though, about this setup for him, if only because the Arizona up-tempo detail, and and, I mean, I guess guess at least if Kyler Murray and the Arizona offense do well against the Miami defense, then we might have a good setup for Tua. Otherwise, uh, I guess if if Murray does struggle against this Miami defense, which is possible, like I don't really feel like the – as much as that Seahawks game was great for the Arizona offense and fantasy, it's like that's you know overtime, of course, and then also that long Hopkins touchdown to Dun- again, on a uh, Quentin Dunbar, like that's that's one of those plays that's a great play by both Murray and Hopkins, and they can make that play. Of course, it's still not the kind of play that you can plan on week to week, and I feel like a, a play like that, if it hadn't worked, might have had a big change in the outcome, especially if Shaq Griffin, Shaquille Griffin, had never gotten hurt for the Seahawks. So I'm a little worried about this improving Miami defense going against Kyler. Like I can imagine cliff Kingsbury getting outsmarted here and having no idea that he, that he's at risk of getting outsmarted here. Mm -hmm. And if he gets caught by surprise, I don't trust him to come up with a good idea uh, on the fly. So I'm a little worried for the Arizona offense, I guess. Um, But as long as they're competent, then Tua will have to do more than last week. And as much as the Arizona defense has some good players, I don't think they are good enough to, to really make Tua look anything like last week in the box score. So I can imagine him throwing like 35 or more passes and looking a lot cleaner than people expected him to. But on the other hand, if Arizona struggles on offense, then I can imagine the, the Dolphins instead seeing like, hey, maybe we let's see if we can get away with the what, the, the Rams game plan where, uh, you know, we let the defense score 14 points and, and simply have Tua play caddy to well, I guess not Miles Gaskin, Jordan Howard, whoever it is. Um, so, yeah, I guess I, I don't know what to make of that backfield, by the way. Like, if Gaskins is out, I don't know, because, like, they, the, the way Howard and Brita played this year didn't look anything like how I understand those players to be. So I... I thought there was there was such a disorienting nature to the whole scene that I, I just can't tell left from right anymore. But I guess it has to be Howard, pretty much. Like, there's no one else there. Or Laird, I guess. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I'm not putting anything down on it.
2: No, I mean, it, it's a total mess. I mean, it, so they just traded for DeAndre Washington. Uh, oh, but right, Matt Breda didn't, did not practice on Thursday. Um, yeah, Jordan Howard is basically the only guy with any sort of, you know, NFL reputation or accomplishments that that's um,
1: layered could be a passing down thing, I guess, but it's like, I, we don't know how many pass plays they're going to run.
2: Oh, that's a good, that's a good point too. Um, so there's a, whew, that that is a mess of a backfield. So, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, Miami might just need to win with their defense again. I'm not sure that they'll be able to do that.
1: Oh, uh, real quickly, the the Dolphins traded Isaiah Ford, and Mike Kosicki's going to play a lot of slot receiver. He always does. But I almost wonder if it's worth picking up in deeper leagues or or making a tournament lineup uh, with Jakeem Grant. Let's go. Okay, I'm always listening. Because they might be looking to give him a promotion. Like He had the punt return for a touchdown. He's been pretty good as a pass catcher the past month but it's either they have to give jakeem grant more snaps or they have to give lynn bowden more snaps and it could be either one i guess it could be both in some sense but grant's at least a guy who uh, he's getting a little bit of air yardage right now and he's a big yards after the catch guy so uh, if he starts getting patients he's going to start doing things after the catch and he gets carries now and then so uh, there might be something there i don't know I
2: love it. Yeah, Jakeem Grant is is such a fun player, dating back to his Texas Tech days. So um, I think he's earned that promotion to at least get a look. Um, in yeah, he's offense. earned the chance to fail
1: at the very least. Like he has to fail before they, you know, put him back in the basement. I
2: think. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get on over. We got you know just a, cl- a classic matchup between two of the two of the great NFL franchises. Truly one of the grosser games on the slate, though. I'm sorry. Uh, Steelers going up against the Cowboys. Steelers, obviously, you know, one of of the best teams in the NFL. That defense, that pass rush specifically, is crazy. Um, The Cowboys are just an absolute disaster right now. I I believe that Cooper Rush is going to be starting this game. So that's just... I don't even know what to what to say further about about this game like you can just say that cooper rush is starting and just kind of like leave it at that almost but uh, i mean do you have anything to to uh to really dive in on uh, when it comes to this matchup
1: well i don't know what the steelers are looking at it like but i could imagine them going into this game and seeing it as a tune-up opportunity for ben roethlisberger because, of ben, uh, because of the ben because the uh, the cowboys defense is so bad against the pass of course and Roethlisberger has not been able to get going this year. Like he's 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 just constantly barely escaping, you know these these traps, these these Indiana Jones scenarios on the football field where he, he's you know making a three yard shovel barely escape the buzz saw that's coming for his face. And uh, it's just I don't know how long they can keep doing that and be competitive to the to the level that they they aspire to. So they have to get Roethlisberger playing better, and maybe they look at this this kind of like an exhibition game for him against this non-existent Dallas pass defense, and one where Roethlisberger can kind of like get into a rhythm and pile up some numbers, and then you know basically give them a heavy dose of Benny Snell and the and Anthony McFarland in the second half uh, when they when they go in with like a twenty-eight nothing box score or something scoreboard I should say. So um, I can see any number of. Pittsburgh pass catchers getting going I think it'll just kind of be a matter of like which one Roethlisberger looks at first on a play because everybody's probably going to be open so Deontay Johnson Chase Claypool Juju any of the Eric Ebron it's all all on the table I think Um, and it's just like how big of a pie is there to go around. Kind of thing. So I expect Roethlisberger to have a big game. Uh, Connor could have a big game, and if Roethlisberger doesn't have a big game, then Connor almost necessarily will. Uh, I could just again see them throwing. I could see them like throwing the ball 15 times in the first 18 snaps just to make it like the Ben Roethlisberger show. And uh, make everyone see like see how normal his elbow is. See how okay he right, is. Yeah, he
2: was like re- like rubbing at the entire game on the sideline last week. But no, not nothing's wrong. Well, maybe
1: if it, if it is really wrong, then maybe they'll have to hide him. But uh, that offense can't win a Super Bowl right now.
2: I know that. Okay, that that's that's huge. Um, when it comes to Julius Smith Schuster, though, I mean he's kind of left for dead after the first six weeks of the season, not getting a ton of targets, not really doing much with his targets. But the last two weeks, he's seen 22 targets and he's you know caught 16 of them for you know a pretty decent clip. So is there you know is there a chance that his season gets salvaged? Not to the point where you know he he re- really returns on whatever the mid third round investment that you made but someone that you can feel comfortable starting down the stretch?
1: Well, I think you can feel comfortable starting him, but part of that is just kind of the perspective of being resigned to the fact that you can't do any better than him. It's that better players, than better fantasy options than Juju Smith-Schuster aren't just available in most leagues. So I don't think there's much actionable to be done about it. It's like we just have to readjust expectations. And I think that the Steelers are largely banking on a spread out field to offset Roethlisberger's inability to throw downfield. And they hope that, you know, the safeties creep up, creep up perhaps, but we make the field wider horizontally and create new windows for him to throw to. And that's basically what they've been doing. And it's basically been working But it's not a setup that favors Juju because he becomes kind of like the roof of the house that protects these other routes, which are being run by Claypool and Johnson underneath because they can't go above that point. They always have to play underneath whoever is kind of like setting the roof in this analogy. And it's it's always going to be Juju because the defenses respect him more than certainly Deontay Johnson and Claypool, just because he's so big and fast, you have to you have to give a different kind of attention to even if you're not specifically respecting him as a threat. Um, but Juju's getting attention in the middle of the field that leaves Johnson in these one-on-one situations where the defense doesn't put a second guy on him because they know he can't run after the catch away for a big play. So they're like, just leave the corner on him. Uh, We'll focus on Juju. Uh, Watch out for that fast, tall guy over there. And Deontay Johnson keeps getting these basically just screen passes. They're they're glorified screen passes from Ben Roethlisberger. And he keeps getting open on them because he does these little like head fake things that get him open for a quick bit at a time here and there. And he's effective in that capacity. And it's not useful for the overall offense to be uh, like competitive in an overall healthy sense. But when the defense is as good as Pittsburgh's is – it doesn't matter. Like they're moving the chains and that's all that they really need to do because the other team isn't even getting field goals. So that's the way it's been going. And until defenses crash on uh, Deontay Johnson or until uh, they start conceiving the offense differently, I worry that Juju's always going to be that lightning rod at the top. And because uh, I just can't see a defense caring more about Deontay Johnson. And I feel like Roethlisberger either needs to improve and start throwing more downfield or Deontay Johnson needs to get demoted for Juju to have the the runway that he's accustomed to.
2: Yeah. Looking at, um, the entire NFL and, and, uh, players that forty targets. So that includes receivers, tight ends and running backs, uh, Deontay Johnson, the only, uh, receiver, um, with a sub 5.4 yards per target right now. So, I mean, he's right there with Evan Ingram, Logan Thomas, Jimmy Graham, Zeke, and and Zach Ertz uh, rounding out, like, the bottom of the list as far as yards per target. So, yeah, like, it, you know, he's catching a lot, but uh, at the same time, like, it's very, very empty results as far as, like, the the returns on on his uh, receptions are concerned a lot of the time. Um, Let's keep it rolling, or I guess uh, we got to know... With the Cowboys, I mean, you have guys like, like Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup. Like, do you have to bench those guys this week?
1: I wouldn't argue against it. I, I mean, if Amari Cooper could only get one catch last week, then what's. Yeah. It's not going to get better. I mean, I do, to be clear, Cooper Rush is definitely better than Danucci. It was so funny how bad Danucci was, but that's basically <laughs> McCarthy just being a moron and putting his thumb on the scale because Cooper Rush wouldn't lose a fair competition to Danucci DiNucci, we all saw it. That guy should never have been anywhere near the NFL. Apparent, I mean, I'm choosing to say it's all because of that stupid little story about how like Mike's brother coached uh, Ben Danucci on Little League Baseball in fifth grade. And I, I actually am willing to believe that McCarthy is a dumb enough guy that that was the entire reason that he's on the team.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, wait—that that does check out. Like McCarthy, Pittsburgh guy. I think Danucci got his college start at Pitt. That's right. Um, before going down to James Madison. So honestly, yeah, that that, that adds up. Uh, you know, Cooper. Kr- Cooper
1: Rush, you were on the wrong little league team, my friend. Yeah. Or, or yeah, together. I mean, I guess you know, starting against the Steelers and the Eagles isn't an enviable position, but that is the reason Rush didn't start last week. <sighs>
2: Pretty, pretty tough times in, in Dallas right team. now. Love it. Very, very dumb. Um, all right, we've got a couple more games to get to as we round things out. Sunday nighter, Saints-Bucks. Should be a pretty good one. Uh, I think we're going to see Michael Thomas back in the fold. Um, can that pick up the, the Saints offense going up against, you know, what has kind of turned into a buzzsaw of a, of a defense for the Bucks?
1: I... Don't really see it. I mean, Drew Brees, to his credit, has played well, but he's also played well to the point that I don't even think Michael Thomas is very good. I, It was a concession for people like me to to say michael thomas was even like a top five nfl receiver and now i'm back on like no he's like wide receiver 12 or something this is this is stupid they they make they make marquez callaway michael thomas numbers emmanuel sanders puts up michael thomas numbers Traquan smith puts up michael thomas numbers it's a system it's drew Brees. i don't care um so i think on the other hand tampa has real firepower even if godwin's out uh it's like Evans against Lattimore, Lattimore's not playing well this year. Evans has the upper hand there. Antonio Brown, I don't particularly care about, but whatever. He has the advantage. Miller has the advantage. Uh, Gronk's getting going a little bit. I don't think the Saints cover this. Like I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting too hopped up on Buccaneers hype, but uh, I just think they have a big personnel advantage here, and I don't think Michael Thomas matters very much.
2: I think you're right. I, I think that the you know i think you have it nailed as far as the, the product of the system when it when it came to thomas's numbers he was amazing at what he did but but his function it, you know it can be replaced because he's not doing the most high difficulty things in the world he's basically just catching the ball that that's the extent of it um, on the, on the buck side, you know, they are just rolling. I know they, they might've got caught looking ahead this past week in, in New York. I don't really see that happening again. Of course, this is a, this is a big matchup for them. They need to, you know, even the score with the saints as far as the, the season series, um, is concerned. So, um, I like the bucks here. I like them at better than, than minus four as well too. So I think you have that one, right? Um, let's round things out here. We got the Patriots going up against the jets, a game that, I'm sure the NFL wishes it could flex, but it's a Monday night game, so we, we got it. Um, uh, sell us on watching this game. Um, I'd, I'd have to
1: threaten you, I guess. Like it, it, that's that's what it would take, right? Yeah, like, like honestly, I have a gun, yeah, yeah. Watch the Patriots bribery and Jets or game, threat. yeah. Um, so short of that, I don't really know what to tell you. I I wouldn't watch it. I I, I predict that I won't watch it, and um. I don't know. I guess I. I, I guess I kind of like the Patriots to cover because, I. I just. I just. Uh, there's something special going on with the Jets, you know. Like, this is the worst team ever, and I. I just don't. I don't know. I can't see the Patriots even in their kind of like, ashamed current state. I don't think they're capable of uh, not blowing them out.
2: Yeah. I mean. Yeah. This comes down to like like the age old, you know, Belichick. With a team of backups, could he beat the worst team in football? So we, we really get the answer to that this time, and I think he will. I think he will beat them soundly, comfortably. I think the Jets will kind of help the Patriots cause in this one. I think that they, they just are so mistake-prone, so disjointed as a team that you know, they'll make some mistakes to really help things set up well for the Patriots. So yeah, this this will go down as like one of the most ridiculous Monday night games um, in recent memory. Really, really looking forward to it. Of course. Um, anything else to to add on here before we round things out?
1: Uh, no, I, I. I hope. I hope we don't have
2: a ridiculous COVID situation on Monday. Yes, that would That's be. All. Yeah, uh, you know we need to. Uh, no comment uh, on that. It needs to get under fingers wraps. crossed. Fingers crossed, um, but. Otherwise, that'll do it for us here on the Thursday RotoWire NFL podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, PropSwap and BetMGM. Big thanks to you, Mario. And make sure you listen to the Friday show, Scott Genstad, Andrew Laird, DFS. It's a must listen. But then again, thanks again for checking out RotoWire on the Thursday show.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium, it's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?